Welcome to the Wedding Digest by Wedbooker, the podcast that covers the exciting, challenging, and sometimes stressful aspects of planning a wedding, bringing you inspiration and advice from a wedding planner and other industry guests to help you save time, money, and your sanity. Brought to you by wedbooker.com, the place to book your dream wedding team with over 400 professional suppliers and venues at your fingertips. Well, hello. Thanks again for joining us for episode three of The Wedding Digest. I'm Lucy, presenter, producer and lover of love. And I'm joined as always by the wise, wonderful and widely passionate wedding planner, Ali. Today, we do have a huge episode for you on The Wedding Digest. Last episode, we talked about budgets and the big ticket items. One of them is the venue. So today we thought we'd dive deeper into everything you need to know when choosing that perfect spot to tie the knot and all the important details you should really consider. And I know we've been promising it for the past couple of episodes, but we do have our first guest on the pod, one of the incredibly talented florists behind Poho Flowers in Sydney. So we pick his creative mind for inspiration. He'll also talk through what we can expect in the way of floral trends for 2021 and my current obsession, dried flowers. Plus, he does also share his tips on how to brief your florist. And this point I did find particularly helpful, Ali. Yeah, me too. Even as a wedding planner, his feedback on this question, I will be taking that and putting it in my back pocket as well. We also received all of your DMs on the Wedbooker Instagram page this week with your Ask Ali questions. So thank you. So many amazing questions in there. Yeah, we do. We've got some really good questions, actually. We'll be getting to that at the end of the show. But first, let's talk about finding that perfect venue. Ali Venue. It's a big one. And there are so many incredible venues to choose from. Where do you even start? Oh my gosh. It is the first challenge any new couple that have just gotten engaged will face. And some of us, not myself, might already have a venue in mind pre-engagement that they knew they wanted to go to, that they absolutely love. They're the lucky ones. If you're not one of them, I would suggest you start by building yourself a tick list. Find out what your non-negotiables are. That might be the number of people you're having at the wedding. If you are looking to have 200 people at your wedding day, you need to make sure you find a venue that fits 200 so you can automatically cross off any venue, say, under the 200 packs or you know, some are only 60 or 120. On the flip side, if you're looking at only having 60 people, you don't want a space that fits 200. You'll be spending too much and you'll have so much empty space in that room that you'll have to fill with other things like flowers. Yeah. Then I think it's about maybe a non-negotiable is the area. You might want to get married in the state that you live in so it's easy for your guests or maybe you want to go to a destination wedding. So if the area is a non-negotiable for you, write that down and decide what that looks like. Then maybe the budget. If you already know what the budget is, the venue is, as we said in the last episode, it's one of those big ticket items. So you need to make sure the venue you're falling in love with before you get too deep does fit in that budget. Then once you've got those non-negotiables, figure out what you can be flexible on. Maybe it is that you can go for a DIY space or an all-inclusive, the layout of the room. Is the ceremony on site or do you have to find a separate ceremony space? There can be a whole list of things. It's just about deciding what's a negotiable for you and what's not. Great advice. First steps then, your considerations are writing your guest list first so you know the number of people. Then if you've got a location in mind, zoning in on that location that you have in mind and then getting quotes from the venues in that location and seeing which ones fit into your budget. The first three steps, would you say? Definitely. And I think the guest list is a big one. 
Because we've all been in this situation where you've now got a venue and it might fit 120 people and you've written your guest list post-booking your venue and you've got like 142 people that you're dying to invite and you've got that awkward culling that no one wants to do. So I think if you have that guest list at the beginning and then figure out what fits in the venue, it can save you all of that stress and you can decide if Auntie Gladys can fit or not. You know, it's funny that you say that because a really good friend of mine, I was actually in this wedding, they chose a venue which they had their heart set on and it only sat 118 people. So they had to cull a whole heap of people. And I actually think that was one of their regrets is that they picked the venue and then made their wedding fit that venue. And then they regretted not being able to invite people that in hindsight, they were actually wished that they were there. Writing that guest list is such a good tip. Yeah, definitely. And total side note off that as well culling people and trying to reduce those numbers, it happens more frequently than you think. I mean, Luis, I don't know about your wedding, but when you think to yourself, I could do a wedding for 120 people. I haven't got that many friends. That was me. Once you actually write those names down and all your aunties and uncles and your friends and all their partners, it adds up so quickly. It really does. We did have a similar situation. Our invite list came to 198 people. (gasps) I know it was so large. So we had to go for a bigger wedding venue. So straight away that eliminated, you know, some of the smaller ones that I had in mind, like up at Palm Beach on Sydney's Northern Beaches. It only sat 150 and I was like, I can't cut 50 people. So that was just non-negotiable for us. It did actually, in fact, cut out some of the venues that we did have in mind. So I would suggest start drafting out that guest list and then have a look at the venues from there. If you absolutely have no idea where to start with venues and where to look, once you have that list, of non-negotiables, you can then hit pages like Wedbooker. It's a bit like your white pages for venues. It'll save you Googling them all individually. And then you won't miss out on any like cool and unique venues that just might not come up in a search, which I think is so on trend right now as well. And Wedbooker is good. It tailors to your number of people, as you said, So, and also your location or, or your theme or your style. So they're the three main things to start with that we've just covered off, guest list, location, and budget. So what are the next things you need to consider when landing on your wedding venue? I think when people are looking at a venue, something that doesn't come to the front of mind is the ceremony location. So a lot of venues have the most beautiful spots on site where you can hold a ceremony and you might fall in love with that space too. Others don't. So definitely have a look at if the venue has a ceremony spot for you and if you love it. If you don't love it or if they don't have one, how far away is that dream ceremony location from the venue? I personally think ideally you don't want to have your guests traveling more than let's say 10 to 20 minutes between locations. I think 30 minutes is starting to get just a bit too far and you lose that important champagne time. You want as much time as you can to celebrate with your loved ones. How important is ensuring that they've got an appropriate backup, you know, if needed, if there is wet weather? That's a good question. And I guess that might be the advantage of going with a venue that does have a ceremony location on site because they've done weddings before. They do probably one a week. So they've definitely done a wet weather wedding before. They have a backup planned already. And it's just a matter of getting the venue staff and maybe your event planner to roll that out for you. If you're looking at a venue that doesn't have a ceremony location on site, you're going to have to build that wet weather plan yourself. 
for me, it was a matter of using a separate ceremony location, but then having my venue ready if we did need to go wet weather to hold my ceremony and reception inside. So it's possible, but if you are holding your ceremony separately, definitely something you need to consider yourself. Okay. So let's talk about vision then. If you've already got a vision in mind, how do you then choose a venue to match? I actually think this is the easiest way to do it. If you already know what you want and you already know what it's going to look like, you're pretty much halfway there. You can knock out so many venues because they just don't fit perfectly into what you envision your wedding day to look like. I think there are so many amazing venues in all different types of styles around Australia. Again, it's just a matter of doing that tailored search, putting in the number of people you want to have at the wedding with your style and all the venue options will pop up for you. You can then start thinking a bit outside the box. So, a bit of a trend we're seeing now is the cool warehouses and the sheds, even like Airbnb rentals. Some people are hiring amazing Airbnb farms or a beautiful house on the coast somewhere in Australia off Airbnb and make sure you let them know you're wanting to use it for a function. They're usually fine with it, but you do need to flag that. Then you can turn that into your dream venue. Yeah. And I guess that's the benefit of Bed Booker as well is if you've got the vision in mind, you just enter in what that looks like and it does pop up with all those options for you. Okay. So that's the easy part then. But what if you're someone like me who didn't really have a clear idea of what my style was going to be? I mean, I could have done a beach or a vineyard wedding. I could have done more contemporary, or I also could have done a boho style. There is a little piece of me that falls into each of that category. I'm not categorically one or the other. So that for me was quite tricky. What advice would you give those that don't really have that clear vision? Firstly, don't feel like you have to fit into a certain box. Your wedding should be uniquely yours. And you want your guests to walk into your wedding day and go, wow, this is so... Ben and Steph, you know, that part is a little bit boho, that's so her. And then, oh, there's the, you know, the champagne that she loves on a weekend when she's out dancing in her glittery dress. So you don't have to make your wedding day fit into a certain category. Let it be a combination of both of you. Sit down with your partner and maybe talk together about what you both see your wedding day looking like and then merge those styles together. No, that is really good advice. So it seems like from all the advice you're giving me, the process of elimination is really a good one when it comes to choosing your venue. Yeah. And I think it's probably a bit more of a process of quote comparison and dwindling down, as we said before, what are those non-negotiables? So have a look when you are in a contract or speaking to the venues, what the inclusions are and how many of those non-negotiables are ticked off by that particular venue. Try not to over justify doing things yourself too much and try not to say, you know, I love that venue, but I really hate the chairs and I really hate the tables and the ceremony location is good, but it could be better. If we build a 10 story arch and bring in an elephant, that's going to make it perfect. You're probably better off going out and finding a venue that suits you more perfectly than adding all of those things on. Yeah. After you've done that sort of process of elimination and quote comparison, the other big one is who's available on your ideal wedding date? I mean, that's the final piece of the puzzle. And sometimes that's going to be what's pushing you in the direction to one venue over another. How quickly can you lock in a venue? If you say want to get married in the next three months, that might also narrow the options that you have in the way of wedding venues. But how quickly could a venue 
turn your wedding around? This is a big question. And I've actually done a few weddings that have turnarounds of less than six months. It is 100% possible. We can turn a wedding around in eight weeks or 12 weeks. I guess the couples that are wanting to have a wedding so quickly are generally the ones that have a really flexible list. Their list of non-negotiables might just be, we want to get married in three months time in Brisbane. Let's make that happen. With that being the only thing we have to work to, we can then find a venue that is available and we can then start to customize and tailor the wedding around other things. If you're wanting to get married in a really short amount of time, if you can be flexible, then it can definitely work. What should you consider when choosing to stay either local or pick, say, a destination wedding? It's probably all about what your dream day looks like. There are advantages to both of them. I think local means convenience for your guests above everything else. So you're more likely to have everyone RSVP, yes, which is a huge win. You can also use local suppliers that you might already know or that your friends might have used in the past. And then you get to pop into your wedding venue like an annoying amount of times before your wedding day and have a look at the space and talk to the wedding vendors. Yeah. And you can actually visualize the whole thing. So I think a huge advantage is to going local. Doing a destination wedding though means that your guests are probably going to stay one night, maybe even two. And that means a whole weekend. It means you can make your wedding not just one day, it could be a two or three day event, which is so fun to get all of your friends away together. Yeah. It might though mean that some of your friends aren't able to make it. Your closest friends are likely to be there, but it might be the ones, you know, the auntie's sister's cousin that can't make it. To some of us, that's a positive. That's one way to color the list. Oh my gosh, you can cut the fat and the distant auntie and uncle, they just won't be there. (laughs) And then if you are looking at a destination wedding, do consider that there are going to be additional costs for your guests. So they're going to be maybe booking flights or accommodation depending on where it is. So when you're then asking for gifts or you're doing a gift registry or you're doing a wishing well, just keep that in mind. Most people are really wanting to give to both you and your partner, but do be aware that if you are doing a destination wedding, there are a few additional costs there for your guests as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. But I do love a destination wedding when you're away, particularly with people that you might not have seen in a very long time. I guess another consideration that may come into play with a destination wedding is you touched on with the local weddings, you're probably more likely to go for local suppliers then and some of them you might not be as familiar with say then if it was local suppliers? Yeah. And it can be really tricky. If you go to an area that is known for weddings, if it's a bit of a wedding destination and we have some beautiful ones in Australia, Byron Bay or across in the Hunter Valley, there are so many beautiful locations. A lot of the suppliers in that area focus purely on weddings. So that's when you can get stung with that W word that we talked about in the budgeting podcast too. So just be aware of that when you're looking at those destination weddings. Would you say that generally marrying locally in you know one of the biggest cities, say, versus a destination wedding, is that cheaper or is it actually cheaper to get married in, say, a barrel or in the Yarra Valley or Byron Bay rather than a city venue? There are so many variables in that. So sometimes, and this is very generally speaking, a venue in a main city, so in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane or over in Perth, may have a higher minimum spend. So you might actually be paying a little bit more for your venue, whereas a destination venue may actually be a little bit cheaper. And as I said, this isn't always, but this is what I've found in the past. But then working with suppliers, I find when you're in the major cities, there's more competition. You've got more quotes to compare and you've got more options. Whereas when you're at a destination wedding, you do then find yourself driving your makeup artist and your hair artist up 
with you and then having to book them a night of accommodation as well. Or you're flying the DJ over the state as well because you really want them. So there can be some additional costs that add on. So it's a little bit dependent on what your wedding looks like and what venue you book and how set you are in certain suppliers. I think that there are advantages and disadvantages to both. If you're not sure where to start and if you've booked a wedding, we keep going back to Byron Bay, so let's stay up there. If you've booked a wedding in Byron Bay, speak to your venue and say to them, who do you guys think is the best florist in the area? Because they don't want you to be ripped off either. And they know who's beautiful. They want you to have beautiful installations in their venue. So if you don't know where to start with suppliers and you are looking at a destination wedding, your venue is your local support and help and they'll be the ones to be able to guide you to the most appropriate suppliers. So you've settled on your top venues, say. What are the main questions then you should ask your venues so you don't get stung by hidden costs later? I think if you've already got a contract, read the contract and look over your personal checklist of suppliers and ask them what they might already have in-house, whether that be AV or tables and chairs. And then that goes back to Do you like those tables and chairs and do you like that furniture or would you be looking to bring in your own? That can come at quite a high additional cost. I would also be sure to ask them about their bump in and bump out times. Now, if you're not in the events world, what this means is the amount of time that your suppliers will have to set up your wedding, which is the bump in and the amount of time your suppliers will have to pack down your wedding, which is your bump out. You do need to make sure that there is enough time for your suppliers to get their work done without putting them under too much stress so that they produce the amazing things that you've talked about. Sometimes you'll find you need to add an extra hour to the bump in or add an extra hour to the bump out and that does come at an additional cost. So check those times. That's a good point. And also, I guess you also should be asking the venue whether they have a wedding booked in before yours. So for example, if you've booked the venue for a nighttime reception, you want to make sure that they don't have a lunchtime reception going on before yours and you're planning on having this incredible floral installation because suddenly there's not enough time to set up for that. Yeah, definitely. Ask the question and even find out who is there the day before, if they've got a wedding in the day after. Some venues, if they don't have a wedding in the day after, can be really flexible and they might say, don't worry about bumping out that night. You can come back the next morning, which then gives you and your suppliers so much more time. And what about, uh, you touched on this before, whether they include AV, for example. What about a dance floor as another big one? Because we were looking at dance floors too. They're actually quite expensive to hire. So is that something you should also be checking whether that's included with the venue too? Yeah, I think worth asking your venue where they suggest you put the dance floor first and make sure you like that location for the dance floor. You might want a completely different configuration of tables to what they normally have and they might be flexible to that. But ask them where they would normally put the dance floor if they have the dance floor and what their restrictions might be on you bringing one in. So if they have really beautiful, polished hardwood floors, they might require you to bring in a dance floor so you don't scratch them up and they might not have that in the contract. So if you ask them the question, you know that's going to be an additional cost. Some amazing venues have a dance floor that you can hire or it might come as part of the venue hire fee. Other venues just say, don't worry about it. We don't mind about the floors. Put the dance floor wherever you want. So yeah, a really good question to ask. Also on that too, just seeing what you can do in the way of styling. So for my wedding, I wanted florals on the roof. So I had to ensure that the venue that I chose enabled that installation to happen. You know, if you do have a vision in mind of what the things you definitely want included in the venue, it's worthwhile asking those questions whether it can be done. 
Yeah, definitely. Go to the venue and, and do a site visit. So go in with your partner or your bridal tribe if you already know who your florist is or your DJ and they can come along. Take as many people as you can. Take a million photos because then you can refer back to the photos. So if it's, you know, three months before the wedding and you're going, oh, was there a pillar there or was there, you know, rigging in the roof? You can look back at those photos or the video you took when you were on site to save you having to go back and have another look. But yes, have a look what they already have. Your florist will ask all the right questions, see if they've got those rigging in the roof or if they've done it before. You might even get lucky and if there's a wedding in there the night before you and they've put a big floral installation in the roof, they might leave all of the ropes up and then your florist can just hook onto the same ropes and that might even end up saving you a bit of money as well. Yeah, that's a good point too. Okay, and just another question I have only because this is very important to me, but food. How do you know that the venue you have your heart set on has the best possible food that you are hoping to serve your guests? This is a huge one for me too. Gosh, the amount of weddings I've gone to and you come away starving or you do that like 2 a.m. Macca's run on the way home. Let's try and avoid all the guests doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Ideally, if your venue is a restaurant as well and they're open for lunch or for dinner, pop in, try a few things on the menu. Most of them will also do a menu tasting for you or they'll do a menu tasting at an additional cost always worth doing a menu tasting. I can't stress this enough. Go in there and try what you're going to be trying on the night and think about the portion sizes as well. Make sure that there's enough food on your plate, not just for you, but think about your dad or your uncle who might be a bigger eater than what you are and think, will this fill them up or should I add a side of potatoes or share salad in the middle as well. So do always make sure you have tried the food before you get there. Jump online and have a look at Google reviews or pop on their website and have a look at their reviews. People will usually talk about the food when reviewing any sort of restaurant or venue. So just do your research. The main point for me when someone comes and says, how do I find the right venue? Where do we even start? Is about figuring out what suits you as a couple. I think if you can find a venue that really screams both of you through and through and it suits you whether the location is on the beach or the location is at a vineyard, think about what you two love and then work from there. Yeah, I love that. And I think down the track in one of these episodes coming up, Ali, we should talk about all-inclusive venues versus do-it-yourself venues too because I think there's a lot in both of those. Yeah, definitely. And there are so many little hidden tricks in there that people don't realize when they're booking either of those venues. So let's definitely unpack that. Okay, guys. Well, I hope you got some valuable tips there from Ali in choosing your perfect wedding venue. If you've got something in mind or you don't really know where to start, jump on over to wedbooker.com. You'll find a whole heap of incredible wedding venues there if you need a little bit of help. And of course, you'll find Ali there too if you want to ask her any more questions about finding your perfect venue. Well, a very big welcome to the show for our very first guest, Ed from Poho Flowers in Sydney. Now, if you aren't familiar with the work that Poho do, make sure you check out their Instagram page, Poho Flowers. It is seriously a beautiful feast for your eyes. Ed, welcome to the pod. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You hadn't had any training at all in floristry. So how does someone like you, you know, take over what was originally more so a plant store and then, you know, even broaden that further and become a well-known florist that now, you know, does a number of events and weddings as well? How do you train yourself up to be able to (laughs) deliver on that? Look, that's a very good question. I mean, traditionally, I mean, a lot of the floor, like we're a big team and a lot of the team have had formal training. Floristry is one of those things 
a bit like a lot of things in the kind of design space generally. I think you either you either have an eye for it or you don't. There's certain, I mean, you can the technical side of it obviously can be taught, but really, like I tend to say to any kind of hopeful new starter, someone looking to get into the industry, that it's really about understanding colour, shape, form, composition. If you have a good grasp of those things to start off with, the technical side of it, which is what obviously brings a bouquet or a vase arrangement or an installation together, those elements can be taught, but you kind of can't necessarily teach someone those kind of intrinsic things. One of the big questions that Ali and I were talking about is do you style your flowers around your wedding or more your wedding around your flowers? What comes first when it comes to flowers and your wedding theme? It really varies bride to bride. I would say more often than not now, most brides come to us with very little kind of understanding of where they want to take their floral direction, what it is they're looking for. I mean, they tend to maybe come with a couple of images, a color palette. I think the end results tend to be better if you kind of come in with a framework for your florist and then grow it from there. You're kind of better to to work your wedding around the flowers and seasonality rather than trying to fit a preset kind of idea that you might have into something that isn't necessarily achievable seasonally or on a particular budget or with other kind of constraints you might experience. You kind of need your venue first before you start thinking about flowers. That's probably the thing that comes after you've selected your venue. Totally. And that definitely comes back to that colour thing and understanding whether it's a water venue, a country venue, at home, a restaurant, function centre, that's really then going to kind of play on what kind of colours are going to work or what's going to work with the furniture that's already there. So what about trends for 2021? Unfortunately, we sort of have to put a cross through 2020 with a lot of weddings, unfortunately, being postponed to 2021. So what what can you say trending in the way of flowers for 2021? I think one thing we're seeing a lot of just generally in the floral space is the use of other elements in kind of floral styling, everything from kind of textural elements, fruits, nuts, seeds, pods, I think we'll see more and more of that. And kind of the overall kind of dressing of the wedding space in terms of setting a table, incorporating beautiful candles, vessels, I think more and more we're seeing people using interesting vessels moving away a lot of the time from Oasis or just clear glass. If I had to pick a flower for 2021 for weddings, it would be the Dahlia. A little bit like hydrangea, it's something that we've kind of always thought of as something that grandma grew in the garden, a little bit daggy, but now the kind of colour waves and variations that we see in dahlias are just amazing. Everything from tiny little golf ball sized dahlias to dahlias that are as big as a dinner plate and coming in, you know, beautiful, everything from beautiful kind of nudes and blushes right through to blacks, rich kind of oranges with red splatters. And yeah, they're just really, really incredible at the moment. Yeah, no longer just in grandma's garden. Dahlias, get around them. Would it be good to see more of them because they are quite stunning and I have seen them feature in, in some of your bouquets as well on Instagram. So do you think we'll be moving away then from the, the more traditional florals that we have seen over the past couple of years, like the peonies and, you know, the blushes and the green foliage, that sort of style? 
I think a lot of those blooms are things like peonies and, you know, kind of garden roses, which are really obviously really popular. I think where they, again, kind of can be used really beautifully is like there's something really beautiful about a fully blown peony on its own as part of an arrangement as kind of the hero. I think sometimes we lose the beauty of a lot of flowers if they're used en masse or it ends up all blending into one. Look, every bride would get married in peony season, I think, if she could. I've had a bride cry on me when I told her she she wasn't going to be able to have peonies. <laughs> we went through the whole wedding and we got to her bridal bouquet and I was like, what are you thinking? And she said peonies and I was like, yeah, it's not going to happen. And she's like, oh, well, we're just using ported ones then. I was like, yeah, no, it's not, it's not going to happen. And there was just this awkward moment of silence followed by tears. Guys, uh, dahlias are the new peonies, okay? So get around them. Are they seasonal, Ed? Yeah, they are. But I think it was interesting. I was actually chatting to some of the staff the other day and we've actually said it's amazing. Things are obviously still very seasonal, but the seasons seem to be kind of blowing out either end. Dahlias we normally wouldn't typically be seeing until kind of maybe like November-ish. This year we saw them kind of late September to early October and then they'd typically be done sort of once, I mean, once the weather starts to cool down, they really stop opening, but, you know, we're picking up some tomorrow. So, yeah, I think it's the kind of seasonality is seems to be changing too and then we're also lucky enough, you know, we do get things obviously from overseas and also interstate, a lot of amazing things kind of coming up from Melbourne and South Australia when our season, local season kind of ends. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're very spoiled. So in terms of colours, you mentioned when we were talking off air that you think that there will be a trend towards more brighter colours for 2021. I think so, yeah. I think if you, like, I think there's a lot of, you know, the wedding space for a long time I think has been very in love with nudes, whites, blushes, some kind of like really rich reds. But, yeah, I think, look, from what I kind of see other florists doing and I know what we're kind of working with, definitely brighter kind of bolder tones uh, are definitely making a strong appearance and pastel tones but like sort of pastels with more citrus and kind of richer like lemons, marmalades and kind of again pushing into that those kind of warmer, brighter elements as well. Gorgeous. I can just smell summer when you say those names. So what about, this is what I wanted to ask you, what about dried flowers? I absolutely love this look. I'm obsessing over it at the moment. How easy are they to work with? And are you finding that you're getting more and more requests for dried flowers to feature? It's something that we we do use. I think they add kind of definitely a different textural element. I definitely think there's probably some more mileage in the trend. It's I would say probably probably peaked, but used in the right way. There's some there's some really cool stuff, and then even you know forgetting the kind of dyed and preserved things, even dried elements, you know, like some natives almost look better dried than they do freshly cut. So the kind of, you know, dried bunny tails, billy buttons, dried banksias, things like that, I think will kind of keep pushing through. You know, it's kind of boho, beachy kind of wedding. I think those elements still work really beautifully. And I think in a natural kind of, you know, if you were getting married in a, in a beautiful field in Byron or somewhere like that, I think, 
those those tones, they, they just work. So just one more question to finish on. What would be your top tips to briefing your florist to ensure you get your dream florals and can bring them to life? Approach someone whose work you really identify with. It makes the, makes the process a lot more seamless for both parties. Be open to things that you kind of might not have seen before, know about, and start broad. I always say to brides personally, I mean, it, look, I'm sure every florist has their own approach, but my approach if I'm meeting with a bride is to start with your dream wedding. So paint a picture, throw the budget out if you have one for a minute, and talk about what your dream day would look like, what it would include, and then kind of start with your proposal mood board, your quote from there, and then either scale back or scale up from that point. Because I think there are so many things that a bride won't think of in terms of florals that I think it's really nice to kind of walk in with, you know, your event space in mind, maybe a couple of pictures, a colour palette, or, you know, even just a lot of brides will turn up and I'll say, you know, what have you got? They're like, well, I've got the venue and I've got the dress and I think I've got a fiancé. And that's a much easier place for a florist to start than too much further down the track because I think sometimes you're then kind of trying to retrofit things and fit in with other decisions that might have been made without kind of seeing other possibilities. I also think jumping in there as well, I would suggest really trust your florist. If you've chosen one that you love the look of their Instagram and everything they do, they're likely to put together your dream wedding. If you give them some great direction and you trust them, they're the creative teams. So try not to micromanage them too much. Ned, I'm sure you've had a few brides along the way that do want to know exactly where every flower is going to be placed. And I think that you can take away from that creativity of your florist. If you give them a little bit of free reign, I think the end result is likely to be phenomenal and you will love it on the day. Yeah, honestly, I think it's you've nailed it on the head. It's one of those things. I always try and push the envelope a little bit with my brides, but I've had four from memory, brides who have literally not known what they're going to get on their wedding day. And I would say without a doubt they're the four most beautiful weddings we've ever done because I think like, you know, flowers are, they're natural, they're seasonal, things happen, you know, there's heat waves, hailstorms, droughts, you know, things happen, they change, shipments get delayed, whatever it might be. And as a florist to be able to walk into the market with, you know, a colour palette or a brief in mind and shop for that wedding is a lot easier than, a bride that said, I only want this or it has to be with that. And if that quality of that on the day is no good or the availability or, you know, kind of not working with the other elements that you've managed to find, you then, again, you're kind of trying to fumble something together that may or may not work. Well, Ed, thank you so much. We cannot thank you enough for your generous time and all your advice that you've given our brides. I'm sure they will all be so grateful for that. Do make sure you check out Ed at Poho Flowers on the gram. You can find them there and also pohoflowers.com.au. Make sure you get in touch. And Poho Flowers, you can also find on the Wedbooker website too. They're one of our fantastic suppliers and we love them so much. So thank you, Ed, and we look forward to seeing more of your wedding stuff when hopefully very soon we will be able to get weddings back up and running again. Thank you so much for the time and for including us. Thrilled to be able to join you today. Ask Ali.
I love seeing all these DMs come in on our Wedbooker Instagram page from brides-to-be asking you questions. Ali, we've got a couple of good ones for you today. Firstly, Margot from the Sunshine Coast. She says, do we have to have an even number of bridesmaids and groomsmen? I want to have four girlfriends, but my fiance only wants three groomsmen. Hmm, This is a good one. Yes. And I think we've all been here. I don't know if I'm the right person to be answering this question because I went a little bit outside the norm personally. You're the wedding planner. You can do it. Anyone can do it. I know. Well, I'll start with an explanation first. Ideally, for a photo's perspective, and when you're standing up at the end of the aisle, you wouldn't want to have six bridesmaids and one groomsman because that would just look really unbalanced. So, The simple answer is try and keep the numbers as close as you can. They don't have to be spot on, but think about those photos and think about having a balanced set on either side of you. Now, I really wanted four bridesmaids and my now husband only wanted one and I wasn't going to negotiate on that because my bridal tribe have been my ride or die for life. So, we found a nice middle ground where we had the best man and the maid of honor actually stood up there with us when we got married. And then my other three bridesmaids sat with the rest of the guests in the front row, but they did absolutely everything else the bridesmaids did. So they were dressed up, they got their hair and makeup done, they organized the most amazing hen's night, they were all involved in the speeches. So they did everything except for actually stand up there with us. So that's how I got around that uneven number. And it really is just the two of you up there saying your vows and the two of your closest friends standing right beside you. There's something really romantic and beautiful about that. I I would never have considered that. Yeah. And so I think the answer for Margot is if you want four and your fiance wants three, to me, that's balanced. Lock them in. And then you just pick two of the bridesmaids to enter with one groomsman when they're going into the reception. So one lucky man gets two ladies on his arms. Our second question is from Jules, who's in Gippsland in Victoria. Now, Ali, I expect you to answer this question with flying colours. She says, what does a wedding planner actually do? My venue comes with an event manager. Do I need a planner as well? An event manager or a venue manager that comes with your venue, they know the ins and the outs of the whole space. So they're the ones when we're talking about, do you have a dance floor? Do you have rigging in the roof? What are the tables and chairs like? Do I need AV? What has the venue got and what can the venue give to me? That's what the venue manager does. They're all the questions they answer. What an event planner does, they're the ones that if you're looking to style the space in a certain way or anything logistically, if you're wanting to bring in those extra chairs and you're wanting to build the vision, they're the ones that liaise with all your suppliers for you. They will make sure that you're working with the best suppliers. They will make sure that you're working with really competitive prices and whatever your vision is, you can feed that back to your event planner and they're the ones that then help you bring that to life. So, think of your wedding planner as your fairy godmother that is going to make that dream come true and your venue manager as your logistics manager from the venue that's going to tell you what they can do, what's possible and what's not, and what they already have for you. But also as a wedding planner, you're essentially a personal hustler for couples as well, making sure they get the very best price and also avoiding paying that wedding inflation price we've spoken about before. Yeah, definitely. I think we do all the hustling for you. Ideally, your wedding planner is there to make sure your day is completely stress-free or as stress-free as possible. We also do have relationships with the suppliers, so we'll know where to go 
a little bit quicker than what you might know. So if you're looking for a more modern wedding style, I'll have a list of suppliers that are going to be able to absolutely nail that for you. And we can save a lot of time trolling through or having a look at a million different suppliers that just might not be suitable. And on that same hand, we know what's a reasonable price to be paying for a particular service. And we can make sure that you're getting a really high quality service from your suppliers at the right price. Yeah, that's all great advice there. Also saving time and having that relationship as well definitely would help. Now, what about on the day? Does the wedding planner just do all the hard work in the lead up or are you there on the day as well from start to finish, making sure everything goes to plan? Oh my God, I would not miss the wedding day after all that work. It is the (laughs) best moment. It is like the cherry on top after putting in all that effort and then seeing the day come to life. I absolutely love being there on the wedding day. And I think the advantages of having a wedding planner in the lead up to your wedding to help hold your hand and bring your vision to life and then having them then on site there for the day from start to finish, really make sure that everything that you talked about, all those hours you put into planning really is picture perfect on the day. You can have wedding planners that will be there just for the day if that's what you're looking for. But ideally, I think from my perspective and when I plan weddings, I don't think I could miss the wedding day even if you asked me. You're just there for the French champagne. Well, Claudia, I really hope that answers your question, what you can expect from a wedding planner and also what a wedding planner does compared to what, say, an event manager might do. Well, that's all our Ask Ali questions for this episode. Of course, we will be back with more Ask Ali questions on next episode. So if you have a question for Ali, make sure you send us a DM at our Instagram page at Wedbooker. That's all we have time for today on this episode of The Wedding Digest. Of course, we spoke about how to choose a venue on this episode, but next week we are going to help you decide whether a DIY venue is right for you or if all-inclusive is the way to go. Yeah, that's right. And we've also got another really exciting guest coming on the pod next week. So keep an eye on the Wedbooker Instagram page and we'll let you know who that's going to be. Thanks for listening to The Wedding Digest podcast brought to you by Wedbooker. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and let us know what you think by leaving a review. You can also find us on the gram at Wedbooker to start planning your dream wedding or for one-on-one wedding advice from Ali, head to wedbooker.com where you'll also find show notes and more info on any of our amazing guests and suppliers.